I think that those are the folks that in my mind are the hardest fit to figure out how growth or a growth team might fit in. But I think for 85% of B2B software companies, I think they could really benefit by having a team who's working cross-functionally, thinking about how do we drive more conversions, upsells, and ultimately revenue. I think that it's a really powerful value add. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Andrew Kaplan. Andrew's worked for some high-growth tech brands. We're talking HubSpot, Wistia, and PostScript, and primarily in growth roles. He's now helping heads of growth at early-stage product-led businesses through his own consultancy. So the perfect person to talk to about how to start and grow a growth team. I hope you enjoy So, Andrew, welcome to the Market Mentors podcast all the way from Boston, I hear. All the way from Boston. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good stuff. So you've obviously got a load of experience in growth. But before we get stuck into this one, I'd just like to know a little bit about your relationship with growth itself. Yeah, I mean, I'm still learning. I've got a little bit of experience, but I feel like most of that is just making mistakes in the moment on the job. But I guess my career started in marketing. I probably spent the first half of my career as a marketer and really the second half, the last seven, eight years or so have been working on growth teams, either being a member of the team or leading the team. And that's sort of the second half of my career. And now what I do is I coach and advise B2B growth teams. And so my relationship with growth is like pretty deep and intertwined. And I just am excited to continue learning in the space like everybody else. Well, I love the stuff that you post on LinkedIn. And if anybody's not following you, I'd highly suggest they actually do that. But as you mentioned, we're here to talk about growth. So if we'd strip it right back, what is growth? And why is that different to perhaps growth marketing? Because I think some people certainly in the UK and Europe, perhaps get the two confused a little bit. Yeah, it's super confusing, right? Because both have growth in the name. Both you think contribute to the bottom line of the business. And those things are true. And I think in general, really everybody that works at the company contributes to growth in some way, if you think about it, whether it's retention or brand or product or whatever. So it's a little bit of like a hot button term. But when I think about it, typically I think about growth marketers as folks who at its core are responsible for driving acquisition, driving signups, and even in a product-led environment, which is companies that scale without really using sales quite as much, those folks are a big part of the puzzle. But when I think about what is growth marketing versus product growth or product-led growth, I think about growth marketers as driving signups. And I think about a growth manager or growth product manager or product-led growth manager as someone who uses the product as the main tool. And those folks are typically responsible for driving activated accounts and conversions. And so the two support each other, right? You learn something in the product that you can apply to the marketing to acquire better users. And on the flip side, you might learn something on the marketing side that helps you improve the product experience. That's how I draw the line is growth marketers are typically looking to drive more high quality traffic and signups, usually on the website and owning other channels and not usually inside of the product. And then folks who are growth product managers are typically doing the inverse. They're using the product as the main tool, typically not using the website, not using other acquisition channels and things like that to activate and convert more users into paying customers. That's great. And if I think about growth, you know, I think about that classic example of Airbnb, really. It's kind of where I was sort of introduced to growth and obviously Sean Ellis's book, Growth Hacking and all that kind of stuff. But why would you say growth teams exist then right now? I think in most companies, it comes down to 
two things. One is that they want to disrupt themselves. And so they want to have a team that's constantly questioning the way that things are always done. Growth teams from an operational standpoint typically are trying to break through plateaus and they're questioning a lot of assumptions and usually they're running a lot of experiments. And so I think culturally folks want it for that reason. And then I think in terms of business model, Airbnb is a great example on the B2C side where you've got a business that's really doing a lot of volume, but there's no sales team. Mm. And so you almost need this e-commerce for software companies and SaaS companies. And that's really what growth, in my opinion, has emerged out of. Airbnb is certainly like an early great example. And now with the emergence of product-led growth, you have all these B2B companies doing very similar things. The Slacks, the Zooms, you know, these types of companies that have a really small sales team and a ton of customers. And someone who works on the growth team is typically working on commercializing the traffic and turning them into customers without leaning on all of the one-to-one interactions from a typical sales team. And do you think it's sort of suitable in the main for those types of businesses then? Because if you think about product-led, freemium, free products, all that kind of stuff, is it generally suitable only then for those types of businesses? Or can any sort of B2B tech organization start thinking about growth and hiring a growth team? I think it depends how you scope it. And I think if you're at a large enterprise company, those are the folks that I think have the hardest time making this model work because they have these big legacy processes. It's typically pretty disruptive for somebody to be running experiments and disrupting kind of the way that things are moving. And there are these big machines and typically they're not using the product as the main conversion lever. They're using people at a lot of these companies. Mm. So I think that those are the folks that in my mind are the hardest fit to figure out how growth or growth team might fit in. But I think for 85% of B2B software companies, I think they could really benefit by having a team who's working cross-functionally, thinking about how do we drive more conversions, upsells, and ultimately revenue. I think that it's a really powerful value add. Awesome. And if you were on the other side of the fence, and if you were a founder, if you were the CEO of a startup then, and you were thinking about sort of using growth as a play, it could be a person, a team, or whatever it might be, And I'm sure you've seen it done well, and I'm sure you've seen it done not so well. But what would you be doing to sort of put those foundations in place then before you use growth as a tactic then? I think culturally is the biggest thing. To make sure culturally you're ready to have a team that's, one, working cross-functionally, right? They're going to work differently than other teams. And so that's like its own thing is how do you operationalize it? So I think you have to have some cross-functional roots in place from a cultural standpoint. And then I also think you need to have a culture of questioning things and accept that and make experimentation and that type of decision-making part of your operating system early. Because I think if it's not, if it's a company that leads based on, hey, we're gonna do it this way and we have a vision and we're deadlocked on this vision and we're not deviating course, any deviation is a distraction or a negative thing, it's gonna be pretty tough to insert this team that is all of a sudden trying to shake things up a little bit and break through plateaus and maybe use data in different ways. So I think the cultural foundations are the most important part And I think that this model where this team is most effective when there's a little bit of volume. So I think after product market fit is a good time. I think pre-product market fit, really you should hire a marketer or maybe a growth Mm -hmm. marketer, someone to figure out how do you eventually get product market fit. And I think once you really have it, you've got some scale, you've got some volume, you've got some confidence who your best users are and your best customers and how they're using your product, then all of a sudden a growth team becomes really valuable because they can come in and they can use that data to try to accelerate things. Great stuff. And you talk about sort of hiring your first growth marketer then, obviously post sort of product market fit, and you're talking about volume then. Are there any sort of points within that then that you think is actually the ideal time? Or is it just post that product market fit and you're sort of seeing stuff sort of flowing in a bit more frequently? 
post product market fit, I know that that's like a fuzzy definition and most companies are trying to figure out, do they have it? Do they not have it? Typically, if you're trying to figure out if you still have it, you probably don't. And if you feel like you've got product market fit and you're really ready to scale, obviously there's some good signs that you do. Cause I do some coaching and advising hmm. for me. I typically look for some kind of benchmark in terms of revenue. It's a proxy to understand product market fit, but typically you can't get to a certain amount of revenue being a business that sells software in the SMB space until you get around five, six, eight million in annual reoccurring revenue. That's usually like a decent proxy to understand, are we on the right path? Obviously there's some earlier stage companies that aren't quite at that revenue, but might be growing really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Like their rate of growth month over month might be in a really impressive place. So those are a couple good indicators to understand if you're on the right path. Perfect. And for that first person, I mean, what sort of skills, traits and kind of almost experience? Because growth marketing is, I'd say, sort of fairly early on when you compare it to sort of more core marketing roles. But what kind of skills, traits and experience would you tend to look for if you were hiring a growth person then as that first kind of hire? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think from a traits standpoint, I'd look for a few things. One, I'd look for someone who's obsessed with helping people. Like at its core, growth has all these articles that make it seem like it's a really tactical and technical thing. And it certainly is. But in my mind, at its core, it's about understanding what's valuable to real people, your customers, and then finding ways to give them value on their terms. That's what we're doing in the growth space. We're finding out what's valuable to people and then we're helping them realize that value either on the website, inside of the product, through other means. But essentially, if you can deliver value, you can feel pretty confident on the flip side, you're going to get some revenue in return. So I look for people that at its core are obsessed with helping other people and are obsessed with understanding those people and delivering value on their terms. I look for that. It's a good starting point. I also like thinking about people who don't have an ego, who don't have all the answers yet. Hmm. Because in this space, what you learn is a lot of your personal opinions end up being wrong. Hmm. And so rather than get folks who are dead set on thinking they know the right answer, get people who are just excited to figure out what works and move quickly. So I look for some of that stuff. And I also look for people who are data-driven, but not just quantitative. I feel like the quantitative data gets over-indexed in the growth space because mm -hmm. everybody's talking about spreadsheets and conversion rates and cohort maturity and all that stuff. All that's good to spot opportunities, but I feel like the qualitative data leads to just as many breakthroughs. You know, it fills in all the color. So people that are obsessed with getting information, and it's not just data and spreadsheets, it's also talking to people and user interviews and doing user research sessions. All those things are just as valuable in my mind. So I look for a few of those things. And then in terms of the more tactical stuff, I look for people that have systems to find the right answer. People that can understand how to take a problem or opportunity and break it into a few pieces to kind of understand it more and to use that data to understand the problem and maybe find some opportunities. Folks that can validate those and maybe brainstorm a few different solutions at different levels of effort. People that can maybe do some light investigation and experimentation before they invest too deeply. And then someone who's going to iterate quickly if they haven't achieved success. And so I feel like if people have the right problem-solving frameworks, it's just a matter of giving them the right tools and time for them to be successful. And so I look for those things. And obviously, if it's a growth marketer, I'm hoping they've got experience doing that on the website and with the channels that they own. And if it's a growth product manager, I'm hoping that they have experience doing that in the onboarding flow and to drive more usage and retention. And it's interesting you mentioned those two points, because I was going to ask you that very question is, there's only a finite number of growth people out there, aren't there? So do you think there are any sort of roles that lend itself quite naturally to people moving into a growth role from them? 
Yeah, I think there's a few. What's most common is you have a product manager mm. who likes data. Yeah. I know a lot of product managers do like this, but I feel like it's a newer thing over the last few years that mm. the previous generation of product managers built to a vision. They built it and it was sort of the marketer's job to make sure that people signed up and were excited to do the thing that they were building towards. And I feel like there's this new crop of really talented product managers that are coming out there saying, hey, I'm building this thing, but I also want people to use it. And I'm not counting success as building it. I'm counting success as building something that a lot of people are using. I mean, these PMs are the future and these are the folks that have started to move into growth roles because they're doing tons of user research. They're building things. They're trying a million different versions of user experience to make sure that they're maximizing the value realized. And then looking at things like retention rates and how that new feature improves conversion to paid and all the things that we get excited about in the growth world. So I think in the product, you've got product managers or a natural segue. Mm. You've also got this emergence of these UX designers where these folks are creating these in-app experiences and they want to understand how impactful they are. And so I think in the product, you've got sort of those two roles that lend themselves naturally to growth. And then on the marketing side, really can come from anywhere. But the two most common patterns that I see are a marketing ops slash demand gen person who started experimenting. And it usually it starts like they experiment with their paid campaigns or their landing pages, or maybe they start to do more A-B testing on the website homepage or features page or pricing page. Once you kind of start getting that experimentation bug and that feedback loop, you want more. And so that's a really natural segue because the skill set and the mindset and the using data to problem solve and all of that is a good introduction. And then the other one that I'm seeing the last couple of years is the product marketing manager. Mm -hmm. Because at a lot of these product-led growth companies, the product marketing manager is doing in-app campaigns, not necessarily adjusting the in-app experience, but using third-party tools, pop-up tools, mm -hmm. in-app communication tools to drive engagement. And so they're talking to people in the context of where they're using the product. And a lot of them even have goals set around driving adoption and engagement and retention and customer health scores and all of these things. And so I feel like those are the four most common roles that I see people progress into these growth spaces from. Well, don't worry, I was taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> I think companies can be a bit narrow-minded sometimes. I've got a growth role there. I need to hire a growth person, but it's exciting hearing you talk about it because it's actually much more about the sort of traits of somebody rather than necessarily I've been fixed in a particular type of role. You know, there's lots of different roles sort of within our customer base that people could move from. So that was pretty cool. So let's say, for instance, you are a growth person. You are the first growth person in, in a business. Is that something you would advocate for? And if that is the case, how do you suggest somebody sort of is successful without kind of getting bogged down in the sort of day to day? Because all this strategy, execution, testing, it's a hell of a job, isn't it? Yeah. If you're early and you're the first person working in growth at your company, I mean, there has to be a first, right? I mean, at every company I've been at, I've been the first growth person. And some of those companies have scaled cross-functional growth teams and some of them haven't, you know, where I've stayed lone wolf and I've grabbed other resources to help me. And both of them can work. But I think the thing that helps folks be successful, in my opinion, is two things. One is that they really need to be skilled at zooming out, reviewing the model to find opportunities, and then ruthlessly prioritizing and saying no to basically everything else that's a distraction. I feel like that's the booby trap that I see a lot of people fall into is all of a sudden they're hired as the first growth person. Everybody at the company is like, oh, great. Here's a growth idea. Here's a growth idea. Here's a growth idea. And they just run from project to project trying to appease people. And it happens all the time. It's like a really common pattern that I hear in my coaching business. And they kind of get swept up in the moment without really taking a step back and figuring out 
what's the one or two things I need to focus on to really be successful growing this business? And then how do I politely <laughs> say no to everything else because I need to do these things and it's not gonna be easy, right? There's a mm-hmm. reason why you get hired in growth. It's because there's some serious challenges. So I think you need to ruthlessly prioritize. And then I feel like the other piece is, maybe two other pieces. One, I feel like you need to be really skilled at understanding what level of investment to make in these projects. Mm. So let's say you work at a company, you zoom out, you look at the model, you understand maybe the two levers you wanna pull on the most. And then within those two levers, what do you do and how much effort and resources do you invest in this stuff? And so I think it's someone who has the mindset of, let me invest the smallest amount of resources possible and let me set some guardrails to understand, am I on the right track or not? And then that feedback loop helps you to either grab more resources or figure out if you should pivot before you waste months and months over investing in something that may not have been the right solution. Those are the two things that I would start with. And then the last piece, this is another booby trap, is you always need to be explaining to other folks what growth is and what you're focused on and why. It's like the number one thing outside of figuring out what you should focus on is making sure that you tell everybody else, here's what I'm doing in growth, because everybody has a different definition of what growth is or opinion on what growth should do or thinking, this isn't a growth project, stay out of my lane. If you're not communicating, you risk being misaligned and bumping into these other teams. And ultimately, I think that those are some of the challenges that if you haven't been in this type of role before, you might not know about. Yeah, and I guess some of those come from experience, don't they? I would have thought the hardest one is just knowing when to invest, how much to invest, how much resource to put behind a particular idea. Because I think a lot of people's tendencies tend to have the mindset of, right, let's explore something as much as we possibly can, because that's what we're taught in a way, isn't it? If you're going to accomplish something, do it to the best of your ability and go as deep as you possibly can. Whereas almost what you're saying is you tentatively go into it and see what's happening and then sort of decide. It reminds me of being at a blackjack table or something. <laughs> yeah, or it's not even that you have to understand, but maybe to validate earlier. Hmm. Before you actually go and build something and grab an engineer and say, hey, I'm going to build this new experience, validate it a little bit. You know, hmm. Do some user testing, run it through a few feedback loops, whether internally or with customers, but do some things to understand if you're on the right track before you just keep plowing ahead. Hmm. I've made this mistake. It's super easy to make. You know, I was working on a referral program. I was working with this engineer. It was sick. They made the sickest referral program. There's all these cool bells and whistles. The in-app experience was great. We had all of this animations when you hovered and it did this and the coin and the piggy bank and all this really fun stuff. And at its core, it wasn't that effective as a thing. Mm -hmm. And we over-invested probably on the building side of things because we just didn't know. We should have validated it and ran it through a few folks first and at least got feedback on the model that we were going to be implementing and figure out maybe if folks were likely to refer There's just things like that. There's a million examples like that of projects that you just don't know what you don't know. And so the early validation and the early feedback is like so important. Well, I think we've all been there. And actually with no code tools, it's amazing how far you can get these days to just sort of iterate and test on your own. It's a lot easier than it used to be, really. What about growing that team then? I mean, if you're the sort of sole growth person then, when is it time to hire the second growth person? Are there any sort of thoughts you've got there? Yeah, so... I think about scaling a growth team as a cross-functional team of complementary skills. Typically, you don't have too many folks, maybe except for engineers with overlapping skill sets. So when I think about scaling a growth team and taking it from one lone wolf or one person who's kind of working on their own and scaling the team, I actually think about what complementary skill sets do I need to increase the impact. 
And so to me, the first place to start is to grab a designer and an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I think that those are two great places to start if you just want to start executing more stuff. Mm -hmm. Typically, the engineer helps you build faster and execute things that you wouldn't be able to do on your own unless you also are an engineer, but most of us aren't. And on the designer side, what it will help you to do, obviously, is really focus on the user experience and to think through a few different creative ways of implementing a user experience that might solve the particular thing that you're focused on. And so I think that a small squad like that, a growth lead designer and an engineer is like a great place to start. And then as it scales, naturally, you're going to pull in maybe more engineers so you can do more stuff and execute a little bit faster or take on bigger swings and things like that. And maybe a little bit of business intelligence person's time so they can help you on the reporting side because that becomes a little bit more of a need. Mm. And then I think the future state of a lot of companies that scale is that they have multiple growth pods. So eventually there'll be sort of one person leading growth. Mm. And then you have a few pods focused on acquisition and maybe your growth marketer is kind of leading that team. You've got a different pod focused on activation and you've got a growth PM working on that. And maybe another pod focused on converting free accounts or free users into paying customers. And you've got a different pod with a growth PM leading that team. So I think that that's kind of how it can evolve over time. And I've seen that system work really, really well. Yeah, I think we could probably do a podcast on just that in itself, because it's a difficult thing to do. But you've obviously got your finger on the pulse when it comes to growth. And obviously, you talk to a lot of growth people through your consulting business and all the stuff that you do. What's happening within growth? The people that you're talking to at the sort of the cutting edge of growth, what kind of one or two things are they thinking about right now? Because we're probably past sort of product-led growth, aren't we? That's sort of accepted, if you like. What are these companies doing now at the cutting edge in terms of growth? Then? I'm seeing basically three things across the board. A lot of the companies that I advise are thinking about usage-based pricing. And so that's kind of a big hot thing right now is revisiting pricing in general. And then I think figuring out the right combination of features so that you can upgrade people from plan one to plan two. And then also thinking through, even if folks don't upgrade plans, how do you increase their lifetime value? How do you expand their revenue over time? And that's kind of where the usage-based pricing comes into play. So I'm seeing that a lot. And then I'm also seeing these other two trends that are kind of emerging in real time. They got me excited. So I'm seeing more and more companies implement light versions of their products on their website almost like an interactive experience, basically. So people can start playing with the product before you actually fill out the form and sign in. And I'm seeing this for a couple of reasons, but I think a lot of these product-led companies are realizing that more signups isn't always better. Mm. If the growth marketer does a good job and they make it easy to sign up and they get more people to sign up and they make the button more clear and the page juicier, eventually more people will sign up. But what the growth PM will say is, hey, 30% of these people who are signing up don't actually do anything. They sign up, they poke around for a few minutes and they're gone and they're never coming back. And I think they just sign up too soon. They don't get what the product is. They didn't fully dig into the use cases and they just signed up almost to understand and do what product marketing could have done. And this isn't a knock on product marketers. I think that this is just something that happens when you're hyper-focused on top of funnel. And so what I'm seeing are these companies that are allowing those pokers basically to check out the product and play with it a little bit. And at a certain point, maybe prompt someone to continue using the product and to save their progress inside. And that's kind of how you take the person who's poking around on the website, show them some value, and then put them in the product when they're ready. And so I'm seeing that as like a really interesting playbook. And I'm seeing another one that's got me really excited too, which are these templates. So again, to solve that same problem of, hey, I signed up and I'm gonna poke around for a few minutes and I'm never coming back. 
the other population of folks who sign up and don't come back basically aren't ready. They don't have a thing to do or the barrier to start is too great. You know, it's like when you open a Google Doc and you're trying to write a blog post, right? It's like the cursor just blinks at you and sometimes you just never get going. And so what I'm seeing are these companies that are creating these pre-built templates. So when you sign up, if you don't know how to get started, that it jumpstarts that process. So I feel like the easiest example is like Miro. Miro is doing a great job of it. If you signed up for a Miro board, say it's kind of a complicated product. Airtable is another one too. Mm. If you sign up for either of those products, it's hard to know what to do if you're a first time user who's never used it before. So they've made all of these things during the onboarding process to identify what your goals are. And then they suggest these things to help you get started fast. And I love that. So I'm seeing a lot of that. I'm seeing some smaller SaaS companies implement and try to adopt that as well. Those three things got me really excited. I feel like it's happening in real time and like the yeah. future is right now, man. It's really cool. Well, when I think of that, I mean, I think of Canva. So, you know, if you're Googling for a template, it comes up in the SERPs, bang, you're into the template. There's no landing on a web page, reading the copy, figuring out whether or not it's actually something I want to use. You are actually in the template editing it. And it is as frictionless as that. You know, I saw that and I was like, wow, that is pretty impressive. It's super impressive. And for the other folks who go to the canva.com and decide to sign up, the first thing they ask is, what do you want to design? What are you looking to do? And based on your answer, then they say, oh, here's some like really popular templates for people that are looking to do and make the designs that you just indicated you wanted to make. And if you think about what that does, it just gets you so deep in the product right off the jump, right? It's like, you don't have to go searching. You don't have to fuss with their filters. It's probably overwhelming if you had to. And so they just get you deep into that value really quickly. I love that. It's such a good example. Awesome. So in terms of growth, and if you are a growth person, where do you sort of go to find out more about growth? Are there any books, courses? Where do you sort of go? That's a great question. There's some good resources for folks if you're looking to learn more. I feel like the pinnacle of growth education online is Reforge. So Reforge does a growth education series. It's led by some really impressive founders who come from growth backgrounds, Brian Balfour and Andrew Chen, who are like the godfathers of kind of the modern day growth playbook. So Reforge is a great one, as is productled.com. So productled.com is another resource to educate and to teach around product-led go-to-market models. And then folks can follow me. I certainly share my opinions online here and there as well. But I feel like a lot of what I've learned is I've just signed up and explored a lot of products and tried to understand why they do things. And I'll reach out to the growth lead at the company and ask how they landed on this thing or if it's an experiment. And once you understand the 80-20, like once you get the base principles, it's really just about being a consumer of these products and digging in and seeing what they're doing and then revisiting sort of the best practices that you've learned about to understand why they're doing what they're up to. And that to me is how I think about a lot of this stuff now. Uh, you've got to have an inquisitive mind, haven't you? Well, look, this has been absolutely awesome. You know, I get excited when I talk to you about growth. I would highly recommend, as I said at the start, for anybody who wants to learn a bit more to follow you on LinkedIn. You post some great stuff about growth and it's such an exciting role to be in. It's such an exciting space for growth teams out there. So I really appreciate you sharing your time and your expertise with us. Hey, man, you got it. I'm happy to be here. Appreciate the kind words. Lovely. Thank you. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward until next time <laughs>